0: Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats.
1: Welcome back. Um, I'm Jordan. I'm Kara. And this is After Lives with Kara Cooney. So this is our part two of demystifying academia academia and let me tell you me typing demystifying i typed it wrong every single of time of course you do. And i
0: wouldn't be able to type thank god for auto-
1: autocorrect
0: yeah but sometimes autocorrect like every time we try to put in recarving because well, all we do is talk yes. about recarving it, says re-curving. it always autocorrects yeah. it to recurving and that really upsets me but yep. yeah so, yeah now, all the egypt terms don't
1: don't mm-hmm. come out well no
0: there's some other more egregious ones but we'll leave that for another time yes. but but yeah, what do we get to do today? We get to talk more about the academic game yeah. and how to break it down. But once you're in the PhD program or what? what yeah, so
1: plan? last episode, we ended on right, you know, right when you get in on our starting. So we'll kind of finish through the the process with what the PhD entails. Yeah. Coursework, exams, proposing, dissertating, yeah. all that stuff. And then we'll get into some post graduation type things the job market brutal out there um postdocs yeah and then even being a professor ideally and you can okay enlighten us all okay. even about being chair oh, dear <laughs> okay <laughs> um so let's begin with the phd coursework what's mm-hmm. the process yeah and we're speaking about the humanities Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. This isn't about math or physics or engineering or any of these other and in the,
1: PhDs. And in the states. And in the United States. As we right. talked about last time, Europe is way different.
0: And we're gonna focus mostly on antiquity. I don't know what a PhD in literature might be like. Um, but history, you know, history and <laughs> yeah. antiquity studies, you're gonna have two to three years of coursework for our fields where you have to learn ancient Egyptian, old, middle, and late. You have to do Coptic and demotic, you have to do your research languages of German, French, and or Arabic it takes a lot of time. So three to four years of coursework is generally mm-hmm. de rigueur. And then what I always say to my students is, and, and UCLA students are in a union they're They live here. They're paid. Their payment comes from being in Los Angeles. So you don't do your three to four years of coursework and then cut out, go someplace else, and then come back to finish up. You you stay here and you're a professional in this space. And in, in that way, I encourage students to come back and do courses with me and seminars with me mm-hmm. pass fail. Yeah.
1: Which so you've I advanced to candidacy, yeah.
0: right? And you're still in courses. it's
1: nice to kind of keep up on stuff, especially yeah. for language, just yeah. to keep things fresh. Yeah. You know, in, in your head, keep translating. Do you and... do everything pass fail? Yeah. See, I have not even noticed. Yeah. I
0: don't I'm not even I just do attention. pass fail.
1: You don't yeah. have to even sign up technically. You can yeah. just, you know, come and sit in, but just nice to stay relevant, keep up on things, those new readings. Or... Well, we're doing a late period
0: seminar. Yeah. Starting tomorrow. Oh my one. God. And so late period, if you haven't worked on 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, 39th, 30th dynasty, this is perfect. Yeah. And you can come in and, and get a lot of this reading under your belt. And if you take it past fail and you don't have time to read, yeah. everyone else is reading and discussing it. So you're learning by osmosis mm-hmm. kind of what's going on here. And then you can decide, oh, I'll read that one or I'll, re- I'll read yeah. this article here or there. So that's
1: what I'll usually pick and choose a couple things to read. And- yeah. Yeah,
0: um, there's but, just so much information within Egyptology in particular, because you're dealing with 3,000 years of culture, religion, language, history. It's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And that, that's not even including materiality in our history. So it's 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 just a lot. And I think when you're doing a history PhD, for example, and say you're focusing on American uh, slavery history in the... I don't know, 18th century, yeah. then things can get more um, magnified into one period. But I think if you're doing that kind of a degree in American studies you're still going to need the you know 400 years of the mm-hmm. beginnings of, the, of settlement and colonization in the Americas, maybe even before one would ideally hope before there was colonization in the Americas by the white people and then thereafter. So you know y- your training in the courses is much broader than what your dissertation.
1: Yeah, actually. Well, and for us to even, I think in most ancient studies, you kind of have to have a outside area focus too. So we take—I did a bunch of courses in the Levant. Me too. That Um, was my outside. So it's like it's not just Egypt, even because when you go out into
0: the market, and we will get to this, Mm -hmm. but you're you're ending up in a job where you might teach Gilgamesh to the Fall of Rome, and if you're teaching that kind of ancient history sort of (laughs) job, you need to know a lot more than just. Yeah. Your, your own area versus American history,
1: which is 400 years. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think
0: American history is broadening in its own way. So, you know, yeah. it's, um, it's interesting, but Assyriology, uh, I think is the same sort mm-hmm. of coursework. Levantine studies, same sort of three to four years of coursework, two to four years of coursework. And then you form a committee at UCLA mm-hmm. and you yeah. defend your proposal and well, we should talk
1: about exams first.
0: Oh yeah, let's yeah. talk
1: about exams. So exams come before you propose right. your dissertation topic.
0: Your your comprehensive exams yep. that are testing you on all that you've done in this coursework mm-hmm. from language to history, to art history, um, archeology, span depending on what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, out of area. And you choose your exams at UCLA to some extent, but others are imposed upon you mm-hmm. and you don't get any choice, right? Yep. Um, And what was, how did you set up your exams? Because for me, it was a completely, and we talked about this a little bit last last time time, um, where my exams were in one week Mm -hmm. and then they were done. Your exams are over a year long period.
1: Yeah, I did them, I think over six months. That's nice. To kind of chop them up a bit. Right. Um, Which is nice that we, our NELC department allows for such things. Because then you can just study for one at a time and not have to do like all four in a week or something. Yeah. Um, No one ever feels ready for their exams. No. Ever. Um, I am trying to tell this to current students who are at that phase. And I'm like, just get it, like, just go do it. And some people aren't ready Mm. for certain exams and
0: need a little more time to gain a mastery over the material. And sometimes failing an exam is the only way to know that situation. And then you go back into some of the data and you relearn things and then you take the exam again. It happens in grad work all the time that people fail exams. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: what about grades? Grades in grad school, how do you perceive it?
1: You, I mean, you only have a 4.0. Yeah. I've never not.
0: You better but have a 4.0. Like an A
1: minus is like. You did something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I know of certain students. Yeah. Who got like a B plus and we were like, oh, yeah. like yeah. shock. Like, yeah. Ooh, like yeah. that I means that was bad. B plus is
0: not good. Yeah. Do they realize that the students who got the B plus that there was a problem there? Or are they still using the undergraduate mindset and they're not able to see it? Yeah, generally that's the way. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing about grad school, and Jordan knows this, and I know this, is that not everyone is meant for graduate school because it is a long, lonely road full of um, seclusion, um, it's just hard, it's hard. mentally, mentally you know, difficult. Very, yeah.
1: Your ego is very on out you know out front people are going to criticize and
0: you're taking your thoughts and your ideas presenting them to the academy Mm -hmm. in a graduate environment or beyond and then those are criticized and you take those in and it's very easy to take them personally in every way shape or form and to shape your academic work as yourself Mm -hmm. and because of that and it's one of the only jobs really that I think is like that.
1: Yeah. What well, else and it's could, because you don't have like a nine to five where it's like you always could be working, you always could be yeah doing things toward it, so you feel guilty for taking time off or breaks. I'm and, always working. I'm always
0: it, working. You know,
1: and I yeah. think too, it's I I see this meme going around on Twitter and other places where it's like you know you were the gifted person, Mm -hmm. maybe in high school or even an undergrad, and then you go into grad school and it's you and all the other gifted kids. And then all of a sudden you don't feel so special or amazing or you finally meet someone who's way smarter than you. So in one way, way it's wonderful.
0: You come to grad school and you get to be with all the nerds that you are like, and you're like, these are my people. I connect with them. And then you're like, shit, now I'm not the smartest person Mm -hmm. in the room. I'm not the most eccentric. Yep. Right. They're like, oh, I'm that weird person yeah, who likes this That was my stuff. niche. Like I was like the Egypt person.
1: And now <laughs> and your now eccentricity like,
0: oh. has been normalized, and you're like, oh, okay. So I don't have that coolness. It's like factor. identity crisis yeah. almost in yeah. a way of
1: like, where do I fit in now? So they're your who people, I,
0: and yet you have to recalibrate then how you are as an individual in the world because then you see that there's competition amongst mm-hmm. these people who are your friends, and it's but but the point I was going to make if i remember going back is that not, grad school isn't for everyone yeah and you have seen the people that and i don't want to say flame out but it's like they just don't get how hard one has to work they don't get the amount of commitment that it takes yeah they don't get the rather perfectionist attitude that you have to apply to your papers and your presentations mm-hmm. um they don't get the footnoting they they don't understand they don't understand the the amount of ingenuity and Original thought you have to bring to create an argument that is yours to contribute, and so some people who are were good at school and good at book reporting then realize, oh my goodness, this is not just descriptive, and I have to bring something more to the party. And some people, they can't either emotionally handle it or academically Mm -hmm.
1: handle it, and those people usually kind of float away. Get a terminal master. Get a terminal master. Go on and do something you know tangentially related Mm -hmm. or something, but. Because yeah. teaching, if no, there's nothing to, wrong with not finishing, there's nothing
0: wrong with or it. Finding it's completely it's not right for fine you. because teaching and not producing research is rewarding in a way mm-hmm. that academia is not because you, when you're teaching, you're, you're trying to meet the younger mind and connect with the younger mind. And you're not putting yourself up there for consumption, for critical consumption mm-hmm. of an audience. That is why higher level academia is so destructive of hearts, souls, minds, and bodies, and why so many academics get a, a reputation for being kind of Mr. Magoo, cut off, spacey. They're just yeah. in their own world, so they don't even notice it all. Maybe they do that purposefully in a Jaded. way. Jaded, sometimes mean. Yeah, There's like a hazing mean. culture in academia that yeah. is rarely discussed. Certainly, Egyptologists know all about it. They know which universities are famous for their hazing and cruelty to graduate students in, in which, which professors are me, <laughs> which professors are straight up me yeah. and where bullying is an essential part of your upbringing academically and professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things go along with this, um, with this field. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say too. One of the things, topics we could talk about maybe now is just, you know, the community Yeah, and, you know, your colleagues and, um between other grad students between people maybe in your department but you know maybe not Egyptologists or with your professors mm-hmm. and the well, how have you formed
0: your community at UCLA well
1: I I think UCLA has a very positive we have a good positive
0: <laughs> group we no do, one's actually. like trying
1: to cut each other down
0: it's yeah, true you know now of course we would have to say this because we're on a podcast and yeah this is the I mean way- there's like
1: there's still like gossip and drama yeah. stuff yeah. will happen yeah. but just compared to other things I've heard from other yeah. similar departments yeah it's sometimes can be very cutthroat yeah and I don't think any of us you know, we might not all be like BFFs or something, but I don't think anyone's trying to like maliciously sabotage.
0: You hear stories of people, other people. ripping articles out of a book so that they are the only ones that have yeah. it. This, these are old or stories like, from my generation yeah. when it actually mattered that it was an article in a book. Now everything's on JSTOR, <laughs> so that's not possible to do anymore. But th- that's kind of the the old stories that I grew up. Just like, growing. or like, you
1: know, like middle school cattiness yeah. and things. And yeah.
0: With my first year of grad school, Yeah, another grad student, told all the other grad students that I had tried to steal some guy's boyfriend. And, and I was like, wow, that's like some malicious slander. Mm -hmm. And no one talked to me my whole first year of grad school. No one spoke to me. I had no friends and it took me forever to figure out I'm like, why will now no one hang out with me? What's going on? And it took me a, a full year and a half to figure out that it was just open slander um but so so that like, was interesting
1: <laughs> that's but, the kind of thing though that makes you leave a program That's what I'm saying that could have turned yes, you off and you yes. could have been like well no one's nice to me like there's yeah. five people in this whole program and if it there was, yeah, it was no a one's talking year. to be like i don't want to be here yeah it was a lonely um
0: year. and our program and and again when we say that ucla is awesome we're not saying inherently that everywhere else sucks because yeah. there are really good programs out there that have good communities and good professors and, and these things exist. And the same goes for classics, history, other other fields, right? But um, Egyptology is weird because of how many we train and it's um, it's incredibly popular at UCLA right now. Mm-hmm. So I think we have 12 students um, well. at some stage in their career in, in PhD studies, which is kind of extraordinary and, um, not everyone is like, there's different groups now. It's so yeah. big. Yeah. You, you're not all BFFs to together. So you, well, and it goes yeah. off
1: by kind of like where you are. Mm-hmm. Your like People who are for, for, farther along yeah. tend to group together because you're in the same process yeah. zone. Yeah. So if like I'm stressed out about dissertating, like I'm not going to go talk to a first year because they they're don't help you. understand. <laughs> if anything, I'm just going to terrify them and they're going to yeah. be like, oh, holy shit. Like, I don't want to, yeah. like, what is going on? So you go talk to other people who are either have already dissertated and can- mentor you yeah. through the process or people who are at the same, yeah. same level. But
0: so it's the same as with like any other job, I suppose, if you start a job at a big company and you want to create your community, yeah. but unlike some of these other jobs, you know, you're going to be at this place for six to eight years that if you transfer in this world and you, it's oh, not like getting another job and moving to another company and finding your upward mobility, you got to stay at this place and yeah. you've got to find a way to make it work. Yeah, And sometimes with professors, your mentors, you know, you, you, they might be more absent than you would like, or maybe too present or, no. <laughs> and mm-hmm. micromanaging or not, not even reading stuff or never returning emails. There's all kinds of ways of, of working with mentors
1: and having mentor relationships, but, but to yeah. me, that's because of those things that maybe are out of your control and you yeah. just have to learn to work within yeah. these bound boundaries, yeah. having colleagues you can bond with over these things. How do you deal with this one professor? Oh, they're notorious for sending bad emails, but in person, they're really nice. And then you know, okay, that email wasn't meant to be read that way or something like this and having good open communication between other colleagues in our department. And the one thing I noticed particularly was that we had like a mentor system kind of in play between the older grad students and the younger ones were like, Danny kind of took me under her wing yeah. to be like, okay, this is the process, and if you have questions, yeah. Like the older grad students were really good about, you know, yeah, helping us come like- in and like, not like hazing, like oh you figured out, like throw into the fire, but like oh, this is the process, you have questions or- I feel like the parent of a large yeah.
0: evangelical family. <laughs> What's the name of the woman that has like 20 kids? Oh, uh, the Duggars. The Duggars. You remember for the, the Duggers? <laughs> yes, because she, she assigns an older kid to a younger kid or two, depending on, because she's got 20 kids, uh-huh. right? So, and there's this, and we don't do it formally, but I see it happening yeah. where the older grad students then um, gravitate towards a younger yep. set of grad students and then help to mentor them on their way. But Danny really was nice. like
1: the first person to like, you should publish that. Like, yeah. oh, that this would be Danny, a great- Danny
0: Candelora, who's now assistant professor in a, at a SUNY yeah. SUNY
1: Cortland. Yeah. So it's like, she was like, oh, that you should present on that. It'd be a great talk. And I was like, oh, no, no. And she's like, do, do it. it. Yeah. Like force, force yeah. me to like- Be brave. You know, sign up for my first ASOR and like need, push me to do that. You so. need support
0: to be brave. But, but
1: all of this brings things. up to me
0: how much is dependent on personalities mm-hmm. and how much is dependent in your graduate career on that professor with whom you're working. And this is why I think UCLA is a happier, happier, kinder, gentler place to be. Not because we as people are necessarily kinder and happier and gentler, but because the system does not allow usually, though there are exceptions that we have both seen, Mm -hmm. one professor to to make a decision that's going to destroy a grad student's life. For the most part, when the system is working as it should, there's another professor or two who are on your committee Mm -hmm. who are like, wait, 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 oh, you don't want to work with her. I'll, I'll work with her. Or that was an issue. Okay. Come over, come over here. Or there's some sort of a balancing situation. It's a hard place for one professor's decisions to, to destroy a career. Um,
1: but I felt, you know, less pressure to do you know, you're not trying to make like cookie cutters of yourself. No, so you don't have to like have please me in every way. More, I think yeah. more freedom to yeah. f- find what they would to focus in on and it how they want to go. It puts pressure on me too, yeah.
0: because then I don't have to be like, oh, that student is mine, mm-hmm. and that student is a is a a mirror of my work. Like and We're me. working
1: together. They're you're not my, my colleague. Mine. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you're working with a committee, and it's a it's a very different way of building a student. So I, I would advise you as you're looking at graduate programs, whatever they they may be, um, to look for those places that are more driven by committee and less driven by one person. Mm -hmm. Now, you may end up in a place where, and and my situation was like this, I actually had two people that I was working with at Johns Hopkins, Betsy Bryan and Richard Jasnow, who are both very dedicated and really into my work and it was great and I was able to get what I needed. There are situations in which you're dependent on one person who's not willing to give the time or the, The, the work, the reading Just, that you need. Yeah. The attention. Yeah.
1: In a way. And know. many
0: places play favorites. So they'll decide out of their five students, mm-hmm. that's the one I want to work with. And all of the other four are neglected. rather discarded, yeah. neglected, ignored, orphaned, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's one of the reasons that graduate work is so harmful on mental health, because then you're like, my work doesn't appeal to this person. It could be that you're working with an advisor who is insecure themselves, mm-hmm. and then can't handle that your work is potentially challenging their work, or you, they don't want to hang out with somebody who's smarter, mm-hmm. uh, smarter than them. I'm using scare quotes for those of you who are listening. Um, and it's a lot of power in one person's hands. It, it can some, be abused. It's some universities. Very easily. It can abused. be abused. Yeah. yeah,
1: as I mean, there's so many instances of, yeah. Yeah. of various forms of abuse yeah. within academia.
0: And I think this goes for any field. I I think like if you're working in in a STEM field and you're in a lab and that lab is run by one person, you have the same situation at hand. And there's going to be one star that rises up and that gets the best assets and the mm -hmm. best resources and the grant money and all of this stuff. And then other people are are looking in from the outside. Um, But there's more group work in STEM and articles are written by as many as 20 people. Mm -hmm. Whereas in our field, and this is the other thing about the humanities, our field is built upon monographs the work of one and and single author articles Mm -hmm. and when you do work in collaboration with others which we see in archaeology all the time in our field um everyone's like well who wrote it how did
1: it work um i just co-authored a paper with robin oh good yeah that's but it was we you know split it up so it's like you write this part and then i'll edit what you wrote and then i'll add what i wrote and then you edit it so it's like this very much this back and forth right process Um, but we had to do it because it was sensory and textiles. And it was like, oh, that's I textiles, you're sensory. Like, that's going to be a great article. Let's... Oh, this is the article that I call the wet t-shirt contest. Yes. <laughs> <of> articles,
0: <laughs> because it's a sensory textile thing. So it's what happens to a textile. And dance. And dance <laughs> and movement when you make it wet, mm-hmm. when you add oils to Oil. it, when you add movement
1: to it. Sound.
0: Um, mm. Yeah. So it's the wet t-shirt contest of ancient Egypt. I think it's going to be. Where the is it published?
1: It's, um, it's going to be one of the Oxbow That's books. awesome. In yeah, one of chapters in the Oxbow. That's awesome. Okay, so we talked about exams. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned committees. Maybe we can explain how you choose a committee.
0: So your committee choice at UCLA happens when you come up with what you're going to contribute, your basic topic, Mm -hmm. and you're like, "This is my topic. These are my research questions. This is my data." And then once you have that, like you're doing textiles, Mm -hmm. right, and you're working on fashion, then you're like, "I want this person to be on my committee, and that person, you know, usually within UCLA." you know who your people are and you'll have two people generally who are in your field already. And so those are just natural fits, but then you're looking on the outside, like who's going to help me with the textile part. Who's going to help me with the fashion part. Um, who's going to help me with the economics part. If you're working on Mm -hmm. an economics, um, crossover, that kind of thing. And then you, the only defense that you do at UCLA is of your proposal, which is less of a defense is a scary word. And it's a problematic word. Um, it's more of a workshop, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where you, so how did it work for you? You presented like 20 so you, minutes?
1: Yeah. You give like a half hour presentation of your proposed project, mm-hmm. you know, going through your methodology, your theory, what data sets you think you're going to use. Mm-hmm. And then, and um, how much time you think things much, will take, Yeah, like, your timeline, do you need to your travel, budget, reeled in the weeds kind yeah, of stuff, yeah, yeah. like a whole research proposal in, yeah. in a sense, um, you know, you and you write it up, so yeah. it's a, you know 30, page, thirty to 50 pages. I think people want them shorter now. But well, no, it depends. Just on, as soon as you start typing, it just keeps going and going and going. Yeah, but um, you know, you do a historiography of this topic. All historiography the- is just yeah. Who is? It's
0: a literature history review of
1: the research of that topic. history
0: of the research of that topic. Who has talked on this topic before? Why is what you're doing any different? Why are you contributing? No. Why is it important?
1: Which to me was the main thing I thought you guys wanted as my committee was mm-hmm. like, what's, why is there, you know, a gap? Why is this worthwhile? You was know, it why, what we wanted as a committee? That's, you guys kept asking that kind of question. Like, you know, like, what are you going to contribute? Right. You know, like, why is it this research project worthwhile Right. going, you know, through with it? Right. Like, what are you going to contribute? What's the gap that you're going to fill? I mean, my, like, big it needs thing- to be like, there needs to be a point to it. And not just a point
0: for the ancient world, yeah, emically, mm-hmm. um within the ancient world, but also, you know, we're we're donating tons of resources and time and and expertise to a question that needs to not only be relevant to something that happened three thousand years ago, but should also be relevant to the way that we think yep. today yep. and it helps you get grant money mm-hmm. if your question is more relevant to the modern world so that's where i tend to yeah. look and focus
1: but even yeah. um professor bono one of my committee members mm-hmm. she was like that's the one thing she wanted when yeah. we were editing it back and forth yeah. she was like focus more on this and stuff yeah but anyway oh can i jump in yeah. and say one thing so the other thing
0: about egyptology at ucla that i really like is that it encourages more work at the beginning with Mm -hmm. people who are not Egyptologists, which means that you, if you're being trained to be an Egyptologist here or to to be an ancient thinker that works with, a thinker that works with ancient data sets from ancient Egypt, then you have to be able to present that data to somebody who works with Levantine or ancient Roman or ancient Greek data sets Mm -hmm. or new world. It, It could, but that kind of crossover within the antiquity and within the historical world is super important. And the less that you stay within your close ivory tower or put your blinders on or our navel gazing there are many (laughs) things that one could say the better your work is going to be the more applicable and Egyptologists are always accused of one not using enough theory Mm -hmm. and and when they do just kind of you know glopping it on cherry picking and glopping it on or two not speaking to anyone else outside of their field and it's one of the reasons that Egyptology is perceived as more colonial, more backwards, and it's something that we're trying to change within the field. So mm-hmm. it's something that we need to be thinking about
1: constantly. But-, but when I was choosing, you know, my committee members, it's like I had you and Vilika as the two, you know, Egyptologists, so that this I was, like, is okay. This
0: Ventrich, the other professor of Egyptology You know, I have
1: that covered. Yeah. So it's like, what else do I need for my dissertation project? Right. You know, I need someone who works with fashion and textiles, which right. got me to Professor Amy Gansel. Yeah. Um, who does Assyrian stuff, but it's like, I can use her theory, her methodology to help me look at this data. Mm -hmm. And then Professor Kate Mm Bonasho, who's at UCLA, works a lot with identity. So, and that's, you know, and display, display, and and she had great theory Mm -hmm. suggestions and it's like, you know, um, has been super helpful. So you don't always need to get someone in your field. You can, you know, people who work with similar methodologies or theory from other fields can be I think almost more helpful in a sense. Yes. Because they have a totally different perspective. They don't know the Egyptian data. So they're kind of coming from a different. I mean, when I was coming up
0: in the nineties, there were not a ton of jobs in Egyptology, but there were more than there are now. And people were creating the dissertation for those jobs Mm -hmm. within the Egyptian field, where can I make a contribution? Now that the Egyptology jobs are, there are jobs and there are two this year, one in Brown and one at Johns Hopkins, which Mm -hmm. is amazing. um, And arguably some others too, but there are jobs coming up, but two jobs for all the people that are being trained is not enough, it's not enough. So you know that you need to be uh, able to apply for all those ancient history and ancient art history positions. And that's exactly what we are geared towards here. And that's what I'm looking for. It's like, okay, what, when you apply to those jobs where they want an ancient historian or an ancient art historian who can work with Gilgamesh to the fall Mm -hmm. of Rome, how is your work going to be applicable? And it's like, oh, I was trained
1: by people who work on Mm -hmm. other things and not just Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. So we
0: like comparative work, Mm -hmm. I think a little bit more um, than at some other places. And, and because of the committee system, we're more capable of it. I'm not going to be able to advise on comparative work because I don't know about yeah. all of these other places, but if there's a committee member who's able to advise on the comparative work with a particular student, then that dissertation work is going to be mm-hmm. that much more um, broad, relevant, um, and it's going to be reaching out to mm-hmm. other parts uh, of the academy beyond our own little world.
1: And one suggestion I got from other grad students, um, my good friend who's now finished and has a assistant professorship, she suggested going. You know you have two, when I was forming my committee, she's like, you you have two established, you know, full professors on mm-hmm. your committee. She suggested going for people who are, you know, earlier career scholars. Yeah. Um, cause she had that on her committee and she was like, and tell me why,
0: and just tell, just be real because I'm the non-early um, career scholar who doesn't
1: have the time that was it to put in. She to was read, like, you'll get more attention yes. from them. Yes, It means more to them because yeah. they have to serve on committees. Mm-hmm. It goes on their uh, CVs yeah. that they serve on X person's committee. Yeah. Um, so it, they're getting something out of it too. So yeah. like they'll put more work. Whereas the effort. older jaded
0: people who are
1: doing like me, they're
0: chairing Your the chair department and, and they're yeah. dealing with all kinds of personnel issues or whatever, or hiring somebody. I don't have the time. Sometimes dissertations come up when I don't have the time to read it as, as much as I, to get into the weeds of it as much as I would like. That, you want that, that early career scholar yeah. who's going to be able to give you more. It's true.
1: more line by line feedback perhaps yeah. or something yeah. and so that was you know have a mix of both yeah to help yeah
0: that's that's really good advice yeah um yeah
1: so so we got committee and yeah. some of the committee requirements are often you know made by hu- you uh, you know humanities division of the university right you can have yeah. X have to be so many at UCLA and then one can be outside. Yeah, the, the grad division at UCLA yeah, is always division. trying to create
0: PhDs that are not insular that are relevant. And in so doing, they demand that you have at least one member of the committee from outside mm-hmm. of the department. And it depends on, so they're, they're trying to make you broader. They're trying to yeah. make you more interesting than, it's people in an academic world, I mean, what's the old saying? You go to grad school because you're super excited about a topic. And then what do they do? They beat out that passion and they destroy it and they make you footnote every last little crazy thing. And all of that passion gets turned into fear and Mm -hmm. anxiety and, and it just goes in a different direction. And that's what normal human reactions are. If those are normal human reactions, then you're going to be more insular and in the weeds and detail oriented and thick description in a dissertation. And so there need to be Systems in place that are like, no, 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 come back out and look at the whole world, come back out and connect with somebody who's not doing your own little mm-hmm. thing. And that's where those grad division requirements yeah. are so incredibly yeah, and important. It's useful.
1: You say something, and then the person's like, What?
0: Mm-hmm. And then you're like, Oh, I'm speaking Egyptology right shop now. And this
1: doesn't make yeah. any sense to anyone else, yeah, yeah. even though they're, you know, a scholar in the ancient world, they have yeah. no idea what I'm talking about, and I need to. The other no. thing that that does <laughs> that
0: grad divi- that requirement from grad division mm. it means, and the other thing that grad division systematizes is that you're applying for money internally at UCLA. Our next topic. It is our next Funding. topic. Funding. Funding. Okay, so, so to, good to, uh, good segue. Thank <laughs> you. So to get like money for travel, mm-hmm. money. So you want to go abroad for a year, or you want to go to a museum in mm-hmm. New York or Boston mm-hmm. or whatever or in Paris. Um, you want to work with somebody and learn a language in Leiden. Which we've had students Mm -hmm. do to get that money. The best way to do it at UCLA is to apply internally, Mm -hmm. right? Easier. And so you're going to be applying against other graduate students. If you write a proposal that's totally in the weeds that only another Egyptologist would fund, then you're not going to get the money. People are going to be like, "I have no idea what the utility of this is. Why Mm -hmm. it even matters. This is so, uh, you know, strangely specific and not useful to me at all." Then you're not you're not going to get that money. And so it makes you. Have to say something make broader. things
1: relatable. Yeah, yep. yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of funding, yes. As so, in PhD programs, mm-hmm. we have grants and we have fellowships. Uh huh. Are there any technical differences between these? I mean, a fellowship is just like phrasing. Yeah, I think so. A
0: fellowship is your your bread to eat. Mm-hmm. It's your funding for getting through the day. And a grant, I suppose they could cross over, but for our world, not so much. Yeah. For the They're STEM smaller, world, usually, right? for the STEM world, big grants can create fellowships that then mm-hmm. are your payment throughout the like year. NEH
1: or something, exactly.
0: Yeah. But in our world, where we don't do as many of those big NEH NSF grants, though mm-hmm. some of our colleagues do, um, it's the university fellowships that you get. Sometimes through, do they call the TA ship a fellowship?
1: no because no, it's w it's all tax purposes is how it ends okay up playing out so that's your ta ship which is TA-ing work. is w2 form so it's work okay and then if you get the fellowship so you don't have to teach and then that's just a tax nightmare is it really it's awful
0: but you don't actually pay taxes
1: you, on it do you you do no but the way ucla fills out the 1099 form they claim like tuition and everything as part of the fellowship and then it looks like you're making like 60k and you're like i did not see all, I did not see that money. And then the government wants to tax you on 60K. So how do you do it? You just, I changed the number. Don't oh tell God. anyone. If no, I'm everyone does wrong, this. Everyone does this. Don't come audit me. It's um. It's honestly discussed. so much easier when it's just your TAing because wow. it's just a W-2 and you're like, they already took out the taxes. It's like such a pain in the ass when you get a fellowship. So the fellowships are this mixed blessing in terms of tax purposes. And then even if you go to the UCLA tax place mm-hmm. they set up for us, they don't even know how it's done. It's like this very... Or you're only supposed to tax. And that changed
0: just recently too, didn't it? It was mm-hmm. a con- congressional shift of the last Congress that decided that people should pay. So here's what's at work here. They decided that people should pay on the tuition that's that's being paid. So you come in and you're coming in tuition free. Yeah. Your tuition as a resident should be 16,000 a year. Yeah. In addition to your fellowship for living, mm-hmm. you never
1: see any of that money. It's just all internal. They pay themselves. Yeah. But, but technically they're still you someone's on like the department is paying the grad division, the money or something, but then they want to tax me.
0: And when that law was passed, and I don't know the name of the law, maybe we can look this up and research when this happened. I feel it like it was about notes. five, six years ago. Um, yeah, sorry, Amber. That's something <laughs> to look up. But yeah. Um, But I think it was part of the anti-intellectual movement, particularly anti-humanities, PhDs, like what is this even good for? Be useful kind of thing. And a little slap on the wrist. And I think it happened at the same time that they decided to make the interest for student loans, Mm. which didn't accrue immediately as Mm -hmm. the grad student student loan has started. When I was in grad school and I took out a student loan, which I only did like twice, but I did, um, interest didn't accrue until I was done with the PhD. There was, it just sat there, the money. And then when I got the PhD, then the interest accrued. And I was able to put that into a low interest loan immediately right yeah. away and put it all together, consolidate it, and keep it pretty cheap. For you guys, the interest accrues as soon as you take out the loan, which means that a $20,000 loan by the time you're done is going to easily be 40 k Easy, easy. Like no problem with the interest that's accruing mine, while you're in school.
1: I saw mine the other day because, like, I got one of those, like, credit score went up. And I was like, ooh, and I like clicked on it. And then it had, like, you know, has like all your breakdown and everything. And it was like debt. I was like, Ugh.
0: When I was in, even Ugh. your undergraduates, your undergraduate loans also did not accrue interest until you finished school. So if you were in grad school, your undergraduate loans did not accrue interest. No. So what they're doing to you is is so unfair and cool. so horrible and needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. And is it's just- it, President Biden. Please cancel all student debt, please. I mean, this, the way that student debt is accruing and the way that people who come to graduate school with, with their undergraduate loans in play and those accruing interest, it's awful. It's just awful. Um, so yeah, we can, we can look up some of that, but it's, it's made graduate school in the humanities very much a game of the rich again, Mm -hmm. um, the rich and unloaned, and um, Which is, I came
1: in with no lungs from undergrad because my I was fortunate enough that my parents could afford to.
0: But then you paid for that master's, then I paid and for that's master's. where you have yeah. the. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly.
1: awful. It's awful. But so in most PhDs, so I think within the states there's kind of two different type of fundings for yeah. PhD programs, at least yeah. in the humanities. Yeah. You have ones that are like fully funded for say like five years, like say at U Chicago, if you get into the milk PhD there. Five you get six, five, five six. six. They yeah. extended it to six, I think, because mm-hmm.
0: it's hard to finish a PhD in five years, even um, when you have a master's. It's but
1: possible. that's why a lot of people at the five-year mark at Chicago would then move away mm-hmm. and finish from afar mm-hmm. and go get a normal job or something. Most of the private something.
0: schools and Ivy Leagues are like this, Fund. where you you are funded a pretty good salary yep. for five or six mm-hmm. years, and then when that funding's done, if you don't get any outside funding, you generally move away from the university, finish your PhD. Yeah. In whatever manner that you can. Yeah,
1: my friend, her last year while she was finishing, moved back to her parents. Yeah. And just she was still getting fellowship, but she just banked it. That's awesome. she's like, I don't have to be on campus. That's I'm not amazing. teaching. I'm gonna move back to my parents, finish writing from there. It's completely. It was, completely during, it was during COVID
0: too, so like, I won't ask you what university, but it's completely. It was completely, U- Chicago. That was Chicago. Mm-hmm. Completely different way of doing it than than we do. But here. I know all the
1: Chicago. I know a lot of, you know, uh, Older students, you know, older in their program, students who have moved away, yeah, and are, you know, have a side job, yeah, writing on the side. I mean, have like a full time job and are finishing their last year of, of dissertating, just kind of on the side and moved, or you know, having kids, and it's a totally different set up, but then you're kind of, you know, you're separate from what's maybe going on.
0: You're not a part of the cohort. You're not in daily yeah. contact with your, with your advisors yep. and other Which students. Which happened
1: to my friend was, she wasn't there. So then she was, was hard to get a hold of her. She doesn't do Egyptology. It's a totally different oh, okay, field. Good. Okay. okay. Um, but she had a hard time, you know, getting in touch with her advisor. And then the years can
0: pass. And all of a sudden you're 10 forgotten. years into the degree mm-hmm. and 11 years. And are you going to finish? Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. But so for UCLA, our funding, your first year, you guaranteed a fellowship, yep. fully funded, so yep. you can focus in on... Oh, so you
0: have to deal with that tax problem your first initially. year. Well, you don't, very get, first year. you don't do the
1: taxes until the year after. But still,
0: I didn't but yes. think of
1: these things. that's why it was helpful for the older students to be like, this is how it's done. Yeah. And it's done correctly, because apparently one of the students got audited. <gasps> and shut up, because um, they were like, you're not paying your taxes, and then he showed them all the paperwork and they were like,
0: oh, why does. I remember like- when they changed this law and they're like, how are we supposed to do our taxes? Because we don't see this money. And now this is why the United States it's, it's just, it drives me crazy. Right? So we, we pass this law politically because it looks good. And then you create a loophole so that if you work with an accountant who tells you how to do it correctly so that you don't have to pay taxes mm-hmm. on money that you never saw, and that's legal why did you even pass the law in the first place and what is it all about except for obviously the the interest accruing to banks and all of these um it's just a way of making the the one percent richer yeah
1: well it's like why is someone like making money off my like scholarship it's (laughs) like it shouldn't be and it's not like it's a lot of money
0: no it's not
1: and they're like oh we only tax what you use for room and board And you're like, well, that's all of it because I need to live, and the scholarship's not. And we live in LA, and we live in LA, so yeah, that twenty grand uh, went towards my rent. So, (laughs) but that it's yeah, it's just easier to TA, actually. Oh my god! And then you get money
0: back. So the way at UCLA, and this is unusual amongst all of the Egyptology programs that Mm -hmm. I know of, and indeed many humanities PhDs as a whole is that at the state schools like Berkeley mm-hmm. and UCLA, when you come in as a graduate student, your funding is, we're allowed to take so many grad students because your funding comes in mainly through teaching. So if I teach a big class, like Women in Power in the Ancient World, 200 mm-hmm. students, mm-hmm. then we have many TAs. We'll have six to eight TAs. We have
1: 12 We have for th- the next quarter. Up. Oh my God. We could even have another one if someone wanted it, because we have so many waitlisted students. Right now. Oh, Amber, will you make a note of that and I'll look into it. <laughs> I should check. Because we have we have, have almost we could Thanks. actually have two. Really? Yeah, we have almost forty students. Okay, let me right see now.
0: with our staff so with if I can fund it. Women
1: and its twenty students each, so we could have two more sections. Okay, I, there's a TA,
0: but there's a TA shortage yeah. right now, so I probably won't be able to do it. But, but there's that many students on the waitlist, mm-hmm. and you know we're getting the emails right now. Please let us in Can into I this get in? Can I get in? I know. I need it. I know it's insane.
1: I'm like, Um,
0: and at least we offer it in the summer so that, so that students can get it before they graduate. But, um, oh, that's interesting. Okay. See how we, (laughs) we're doing work while we're, while we're podcasting. That's really funny. What was the question? But so Um,
1: UCLA is mainly we make, oh, right. Our money off TA.
0: Yes. So it means we can accept more than one student a year per department. It means that You are professionalizing throughout your time here, working on your PhD Mm -hmm. so that you're teaching 50% or 75% if you decide to go over and you need more money and you're working on your dissertation research, the other, and your classes and other things, the other half of the time. And it means that you have to learn to organize your time. Mm -hmm. You can't be single-minded in your, in your focus. Even during a fellowship year, I found there's so much going on. That it's hard to be single-minded in your attention to your your coursework and your work?
1: I think too, at least for me, I get more done when I'm really busy. Yeah. It's when I have more more time. It's exactly Like a fellowship. Yeah. If I just have like, oh, I just have to take classes and I yeah. get nothing done. Where if I know this is your only day to yeah. work on your dissertation, then yeah. it's like, okay, I need to sit down and work on my dissertation yeah. today. Versus when every day could be a dissertation day, then it, it was never a dissertation day
0: you know, this is the old joke about sabbaticals <laughs> yeah. for faculty. When you get you to do enough teaching and you earn time off for a sabbatical and then you start your sabbatical. You're like, I'm going to get so much oh, stuff done. Look. It's going to be amazing. No one's going to take any of my time. I'm going to write my book. And and then all of a sudden it's August and oh. you're like, where is my sabbatical gone? Because really with time organization, you kind of need to be around yeah. all of Other the noise people. and all the crazy to be able to keep adding to it. I'm sure some people are good at it. It's just yeah. not the way I, I work. I need no. to be like busy, busy, busy. I was just telling Remy that, um, this is my husband, when he went out of town to Hawaii for like, it, it was a while, like six, seven days. And I'm like, oh, don't worry, I'll be fine. I'm going to get so much mm-hmm. done. It's going to be great. And then he came back. I was like, I didn't get anything <laughs> done. And I I realized I need to be annoyed at the beautiful family around me, taking me away from work to want to work. And when the beautiful family is not around me, taking me away from work, then I just don't Mm -hmm. know what to do with myself. And I just, I fall into a Netflix ball of of pain and suffering Mm -hmm. and there's no, there's no point. So, you know, we all have our system. Some people need the space and the quiet and the clear thinking. I need the noise. I need the noise in the community and the the life around me, that's what, what spurs me Mm -hmm. on to get things done. And I need the teaching, you know, and I think you guys need the coursework Mm -hmm. because the way we have it set up is I'll uh, have the students bring in their research all the time so that Mm -hmm. you're able to create a seminar based on your teaching, sorry, based on your research. And so teaching and research go very much hand in hand and it feeds off each other and creates an awesome feedback loop of creation.
1: I think a lot of the TAs, I very much enjoy teaching the yeah. undergrads. It's yeah. a nice, you feel like it's very rewarding. Like I'm actually, I'm physically, you know, doing something. Students often have like, you know, there's always like the mean students who have m- mean things to say, but for the most part, you know, they're usually very, you know, um, appreciative and interested. And Cause
0: she gets student evaluations, just evaluations, just like I do. And student evaluations are kind of, the academic world is weird. The way we judge each other. Yeah. We judge with grades, we judge with student evaluations for those who are giving grades. So there's a give and take here. Um, we give them grades, they give us grades in a sense. And mm-hmm. when we go up for promotion, or when you go up for a job, showing your student evaluations with all of the little detailed yeah. comments is an important part of that process. Mm-hmm. And people wanna see, are you a professor who can reach out to young minds? Are you well-liked? Yeah. Are you considered a taskmaster? And they've proven that student evaluations are crueler on the female mm-hmm. who is considered shrill, abrasive, difficult. And the male professor acting in the exact same way with the exact same demands is considered authoritative, um, strong, smart, smart yeah. you know, all of these things. So the, the gender biases, even amongst females making these mm-hmm. student evaluations is is so um, obvious. Yeah. and provable discernible amongst people who work with data that they're thinking of throwing out student evaluations entirely
1: or or we need to change how they're done Mm -hmm. um yeah I've very much appreciate them in most cases my students have already always taken them very seriously Mm -hmm. and given like very good constructive uh feedback and nothing you know where you're like oh I wish I could throw this out type of thing but I've heard horror stories from other people and of where you're like I don't Want this in here, and it's not, you know, constructive in any way. It's like about your appearance or something like yeah. that. And
0: yeah, I've yeah. had some bad student evaluations, they can't be avoided, and it's just part of the
1: sometimes it's like they're just, oh, I didn't get the grade I wanted, so I want yeah. to write you a nasty eval, yeah. and it's because they didn't do the work. It's like, well,
0: normal human reaction, you know,
1: blame totally the other is. person, sure, okay.
0: But anyway, to, but you enjoy yeah. your teaching for the most part, yes, yes, so. and at most of the Ivy Leagues. And they most places it. you don't get to teach. You don't get to teach. Yeah. So this is something that you're, you're looking for TA ships. TA ships are hardly fought over at many of these places because there are so you few like of them. And it's yeah. like such
1: a, you only get to do it like your last year yeah. and you teach one class, yeah. which is just funny because yeah, we come out with so many. No, you come
0: out with a teaching dossier Huge. of profound, professionalization and knowledge that mm-hmm. you can then put out there in the job market and teaching which is classes amazing. that
1: are outside of egypt yeah you know yeah. i've taught jerusalem mm-hmm. and it's like i have to do all the readings i don't know anything about jerusalem and which makes you that much better yeah, candidate for
0: the jobs market
1: when when the time
0: comes mm-hmm. yeah
1: but so so that's one way of earning
0: oh but there money. are other ways yeah. so you know what do others like amy carroll what does she do so she did
1: because she's finished now she's now dr amy
0: carroll Uh, Context
1: stuff. mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can work. Um, so in most cases, you know, TA ships are considered 50% employment Mm -hmm. um because there's only a certain we're only allowed to be percentage 50% employed Mm -hmm. based off our union. Mm
0: -hmm. You can Um, get an exception to be but you have to
1: fill out a paperwork and the union is very um, you know, good about making sure we're not being overworked or whatever. Mm Um, certain other students have worked at HumTech, which is like the humanities technical department, like mm-hmm. IT. Um, and I know a couple of students who work there and they can get paid, you can work for the library. And then you have a um, training in
0: digital humanities mm-hmm. and digital pedagogy that you wouldn't get. Yep. In any other way, so anytime
1: there is an issue with like and our even website, coding, they yeah. know how to do these things. It's it's great. You can get it's other great. other good stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we could talk about unions since we've been bringing oh, them up a bunch. Let's do it um, that's a controversial, I think, oh. thing at some certain universities.
0: So we have we have unionization all the way through. So the grad students have a union. The lecturers have a union. We don't have many adjunct professors, so most of those teachers are unionized in a lecturer's union, and they get good benefits um, for teaching, I think, three classes or more. And then the latter faculty are part of the academic senate, Mm -hmm. so we're the governance of the university and in a sense that is our our union. Mm-hmm. Um, one could argue that we're the most overworked out of the whole group, one could, all them. but yeah, it's because no one's looking at my hours to make sure I'm not working too much, so I can tell you that. Um, so the
1: only group that isn't unionized who are currently trying to right now yeah. are GSRs. Oh, okay, so
0: this is interesting. You, When you're a grad student, you float in between being a teaching assistant or associate, depending mm-hmm. on your rank, yeah. And being a graduate student researcher where you're paid you're 50% or 75%, which is unusual, but could be, to be a researcher for a professor. So they're working on a book or something, or they've got an excavation, and you're there doing work for them. Mm-hmm. Oh, and
1: they don't have, so you they're could be used. abused and- And they make much less than TAs do. Interesting. Like a couple thousand less.
0: Okay. And so quarter. now there's a push to unionize. So they've
1: unionized- UC has not recognized them yet. It'll happen. So they're pushing for it. And I know it it could fold into the grad student. I mean, ideally it should just be with us. Yeah. Um, And I know we're going up for renegotiations soon. Mm -hmm. So they're very much like, make sure you're, you've paid your dues, you're a member, Mm -hmm. because we need the numbers to Mm -hmm. say like, but they're going to, you know, renegotiate our salaries and stuff. And that's good. But hopefully- they just absorb the GSRs. But I think it's more of an issue in the sciences right? where that's mainly their funding is through GSRs. right? Um, and the different like level, they have, I don't know, different like, levels of GSRing. But how like long if your whole
0: career is working in a lab, not teaching, but working in a lab and you're always a GSR and you aren't unionized, mm-hmm. you could totally be abused by a lab manager in terms nope. of time and hours. And- well,
1: and so much of our union isn't even just hours, it's childcare and- other benefits. The, the reason we have health insurance yep. through the university, which a lot of grad students don't get health insurance through their universities. It's shocking. I can think of many private schools who do not provide health. Are you serious? You have to pay for it. Yeah. Really? It's I think it's subsidized. And oh, it's but so it's, when you get a- not good. Not good insurance. Our insurance is like actually very good. Wait. So, Jordan, if yes. you get into an Ivy League, mm-hmm. are these Ivy League schools included? Yes. yes.
0: If you get into an Ivy League. And you get one of those packages that pay 50 K per year. It
1: doesn't include.
0: So you have to then take out money to put in for health insurance. It does not
1: include health insurance. You have to pay for it through the university still. So it's cheaper than just buying it off the open market or whatever. And it's not good. It doesn't have dental, doesn't have eye. It's just like, so you don't die. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. I think the the mental health to coverage is pretty poor. Our mental
0: health coverage could be way better. Yes. It could be way better.
1: It's just how it, the system is just awful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, finding, you can't change the entire mental health system in the United and States. And just how the UCLA
1: gives you, well, yeah. like, oh, you can visit six times. And you're like, oh, wow. Like, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> six whole times. <laughs> and like, and then you have to go somewhere else. And yeah. they don't pay for any, but that's a whole other thing. But yeah. the union, we get insurance, we get childcare. If you have a child, you can apply and they'll help cover, you know, daycare costs and all this other good yeah. stuff. So they help uh, a lot. And as you were saying with TA ships, there's different levels. So the longer you've TA'd and if you've become, if you propose and become ABD.
0: Yeah. Um, all the dissertation.
1: You go up to an even further rank. So, and it's like a pretty, I think a, maybe not for LA, a good salary, but for other places, it's it's know, not bad. It's not bad. You make more TAing than you make on fellowship.
0: Yeah. By a lot. And your numbers go up because yeah. of the union. So what you make starting out as a TA in your second or third year versus what you make in your sixth or seventh year is very it's different.
1: Thousands of dollars, yeah. a quarter different. Yeah. yeah. So it's you good. work up. Um, so then what other kind of grants or fellowships? Yeah. So we have internal ones you can apply to. And there's
0: so many. There's so, so many. many at your university. You yeah. should look for all the different centers. Like there may be a center mm-hmm. for gender or women's studies. There may be a center for queer studies. There may be a center for economic studies. And you wanna look at all of these different places and see if they have travel grants, see if they have um, grants for conferences. There, there's all kinds so of things grants. that you can yeah. apply for.
1: It's sometimes overwhelming because they're maybe not centralized yeah. with like sorting through them. And so sometimes it's a lot, you know, word of mouth or doing a little hunting on the side and, mm-hmm. you know, older colleagues, like, what did you get? Then I can apply for it, Yeah. you know, in years in the future. But um, so the department at UCLA and
0: probably at Berkeley uh, provides a basement funding. mm -hmm. And then you go out and probably starting in the fall, you put together your application package. Like this is my statement of purpose. This is the research I'm going to do this year. This is why it's Mm -hmm. relevant and why it matters. And then you apply for six or seven different things. And then you see what what you get back, see what, see, throw your spaghetti at the wall and then see which strands (laughs) stick to the wall. Mm -hmm. And then you add to your salary from there. Um, I didn't have to do this at Hopkins, you know, Hopkins, they give you, you had a package, you get a package and there's, there weren't, because of the package you, I had to look to employment within the university. So I Mm -hmm. worked at the library.
1: That's what I did for my master's. I worked at the museum.
0: Yeah. So you find a job inside and then that job helps to supplement yeah. your stipend and, and keep you keep you going in the world yeah.
1: yeah but at like UCLA we have pretty good you know GSRMs which are graduate summer research mentorships right. which I think are you know a lot of people get
0: now being called smurfs
1: <laughs> smurfs summer mentorship
0: I summer like- mentor research fellowships. I kind of like Smurf. Smurf. That's nice. Is the way it's going. And we have to. The department has to put in money for Smurfs. Oh, okay. We don't have to put in money for the for GSrMs, the Graduate Summer Research Mentorship. Oh. But the department has more control over who gets the gotcha. summer money, rather than one of the things that's annoying is you put all of our names to grad division. Mm-hmm. They make the choice through their vetting process, rather than we making the choice when we know in our minds who who the better students yeah. are. But I get why they're doing it. It's what I said before, that grad division is like, no, no, we don't want you to be in the weeds and speaking only to yourselves. We want you to be global and speaking to yeah. everyone. We're going to make the choice who we think is making well, the communication takes, best.
1: If there is some favoritism or something yes. going on in the it department, it cuts it off at the knees. You know, maybe less yeah. biased, hopefully. Yeah.
0: Um, so my our stuff is read by, you know, the sociology yeah. division somewhere or they don't have anything to do with us. And they're like, oh, does this seem to have data? Does it seem to have what mm-hmm. it needs? And then they'll judge our students and we don't get to judge our students, Mm -hmm. which in many ways is a beautiful way of dealing with conflicts of interest, favoritism, all kinds of issues. Mm So, um, so the Smurf thing
1: is, it's interesting.
0: interesting. So we'll see how that goes.
1: Um, Another big fellowship that I think is at a lot of universities are the dissertation year fellowship.
0: Right. What's the reputation of the dissertation year fellowship at UCLA?
1: Well, I just, I know that if, you get it and you don't finish, you're screwing the rest of us over. Yeah, it's
0: true. So if you get
1: it, you need to finish because then we lose it. (laughs)
0: Because the, the way it works is grad division looks at who gets dissertation year fellowships to not have to teach, to only focus on your dissertation, that's it. And if you don't finish the dissertation in that department, then that department is not mentoring you properly to finish on time, and then that department will not necessarily get a dissertation your fellowship the year after. Um, It might not always work that way, but that seems to be under consideration. Um, And it gives you a hard out; it means your funding is done after that time. And that it's just yeah. Those you you guys do rank right. We do rank them, but they're not. Those rankings are not always followed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's always a check and a balance in this. So well, those process. are
1: nice to have, mm-hmm. you know. If you're, you have one, you know, you're done. I think the best advice was from Marissa who was like already almost done. Yeah. And she applied and got it, and then mm-hmm. she like gave herself a year mm-hmm. to like just do edits and then apply for jobs and, and work on the had, book. You know, yeah. what's the book gonna look like? She writes some letters for publication. She shut herself up for. Yeah. Like, I'm almost already done, and I'm applying. She Marissa also applied
0: for so many jobs too. Yeah. She was able to apply she for was all the jobs.
1: Very you know, always is very organized yeah, she's on point. She is. Um,
0: so those are- Oh, this is Marissa Stevens, who's now assistant director of the Porto Center for the Study of Ancient Iran. Yes.
1: So. Um, I think we covered funding, did TAs, all that good stuff.
0: Oh, but there's outside funding yeah. too, right? So you could apply for like, I got a CASVA mm-hmm. grant, Center for Advanced Studies in the Visual Arts, or you could apply for an AAUW, American Association Mm -hmm. of University Women. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good final year dissertation Mm -hmm. fellowship.
1: NEH people do Mm -hmm. even. Yeah, there's a dissertation
0: year fellowship. That's NSF for archaeologies. Does NEH have one too? I
1: don't know. I just know a couple of people have done NEH for like bigger, like to fund their whole PhD even. You can get like a funding from the whole thing.
0: Wow. Um, Um, But you have
1: to apply from that, like as you're applying for PhD programs, like upfront.
0: Um, and we don't have those kinds of requirements. A lot of European universities do where yeah, you have to apply have for to these the things um, for statewide funding,
1: mm-hmm.
0: countrywide funding while you're trying really? to get into a PhD program. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: But I think that, you know, there's all always like little things, travel grants here and there. Some of
0: you guys are so creative. Like I've seen a lot of people find Rotary Club grants yep. or like... Weird little, like their hometown has a grant for some sort of education, and they pull in five hundred dollars mm-hmm. for something. And you know, you pull in five hundred dollars from little grants, and you those add up, and you're able to yeah. to make your life more comfortable with those kinds of grants, or travel when you have the time in December and the summer yep. uh, to get data that you need, or to just learn more about your topic. Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah, well, and like little, yeah, little grants here or there for excavation there's certain things for like Mm -hmm. more archaeology related stuff um but yeah there's always something you can pick up Steinmetz they have both we have an internal Steinmetz but there's also external this Steinmetz Steinmetz travel grant is
0: a lifesaver it is the game changer and we are so thankful to Charlie Steinmetz for setting up that grant because every grad student can apply for it once to go somewhere mm-hmm. and that grants generally about a thousand dollars sometimes a little more sometimes a little less yeah they
1: take into account where you're going mm-hmm. and it usually their goal is to just cover your airfare and it's wonderful so it's you know depending on where you're going in the world the airfare can be but yeah around you know a $1, thousand twelve hundred bucks
0: right it's but, it's, but it's great yeah
1: that's helped all of us. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but and how do you find out about all these grants, Jordan? Like, because I don't have to do it anymore. I look at different grants, right? I might look at some of the bigger mm-hmm. grants. So I li- though I mouth. like to avoid doing those because then you end up administering your grants your whole life and I don't like yeah. it. But how do you know Definitely which one's word of
1: mouth? I would say throughout... there's no like
0: database that you use. So UCLA
1: for... has one. Yeah. Um, but they tend not to be humanities focused or at least ancient studies focused. Yeah. Um, And your
0: university will obviously have. The university has
1: some type of grants database. Um, I think our Mm -hmm. SAO is pretty good about sending out stuff that comes through. Student
0: affairs officer. Um,
1: You know, she'll send it to the grad student listserv. Oh, there's this grant or fellowship available to apply to. Um, Yeah, I think it's just something you slowly get a handle on. Yeah. There's not like, you know, the AIA American institute of archaeology has some online
0: archaeological institute of america yeah
1: that Um, but (laughs) that tends to be more classic greek and roman classics focused but some Um, of the
0: chapters have been very useful so maybe some of the bigger grants through aia don't pay but then the chapters we have two chapters here we have an la chapter for aia Mm -hmm. and we have an orange county chapter and they fund students two to three thousand dollars for travel and and research
1: i guess just other archaeology or ancient history related institutes yes like these things that have you know presentations and conferences are always good to check um yeah you can just hunt around you know you just do a little hunting and
0: and then some of the local things when you're when one person applies for that you're like wait where did you get that money
1: from what's that and um or certain things you think you can apply for then you talk to someone who's gotten it and they're like oh no like you should apply they you know and it's like Egypt, especially, it's like, does Egypt fall within, you know, the
0: parameters of cause some
1: scholarships for like art history would be like outside of Europe, right? Like, well, that's Egypt, right? But at other times, you know, Egypt gets lumped into the, you know, Greek, uh, because of
0: white colonial studies, canon of yeah. art.
1: Yeah. And you, you know, what's, so how you work things, how you, you know, and you angles. have to apply for some of these things twice. You have to know that
0: you will not get some of no. these things. That is the way. Um, And I think that the other thing that that state schools do well is because we can't fund to the level that an Ivy League can fund is we're always sending you out there to apply for things Mm -hmm. and we're sending you out there to get rejected a lot and early. And so you realize that you won't be surprised by this when you get on the job market and you're like, oh my God, I'm getting rejected a lot and early. It's the norm. Mm-hmm. You should, it's just the way that it works. So you're trained and ready for it. You're kind of battle hardened and battle scarred and get, ready. To, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Fully funded, you're not maybe, you don't have to do that at more all. More complacent, more complacent, <laughs> Perhaps. and Perhaps. also more
0: protected. And then when you're thrown out there yeah. into the arena and Scary. you start to get hit, you don't quite know exactly yeah. how to deal with it. Whereas you guys are like, this is the game, this is how I got to play it. And you just, you, you find a different way yeah. through that that beast.
1: But yeah, I think it's, you know, asking around and this is where the networking comes, comes in, you know, having good mentors around you who know what things to apply for friends Mm -hmm. that know what things at conferences and you have to know of,
0: but professors, we don't know what the hell you're supposed to apply for. We kind of do. Sometimes you're like, why didn't you apply
1: for this? You have a good handle on it.
0: Maybe because I'm chair.
1: Maybe. Yeah. But whenever stuff comes up, you always forward it like, Oh, that's true. These are good fellowships. These are good grants for you guys. I don't think you're out there like,
0: you know, looking for like you. hunting for things, yeah. but when
1: they, you know, things come your way and you, you direct it towards us or yeah. little things like that. Do you
0: have in there when you're supposed to give
1: papers and things like that? No, we can, that's a good one. Let's talk uh, about that.
0: Cause I was, because the, the funding is making me think yeah. of applying to give a paper and so much of the time you yeah, publishing too, mm-hmm. but so much of the time when you get money to go to a conference. It's It's got a, per, a, st- a stipulation, which is what, Jordan?
1: You have to be presenting. You
0: have to be presenting. So if you want to go to a conference in your field, say you want to go to RC, the American Research Center in Egypt conference. Say you want to go to ASOR, um, which is now what? Ancient Studies of or of
1: Overseas Research. Overseas research. Overseas, thank you.
0: Used to be Oriental Research, but now that word's no good. So now it's Overseas Research. Thank you. ASOR is like the ancient Near East, Middle Eastern... Yeah. Um, ancient middle eastern studies but say you want to go give a paper at one of these conferences mm-hmm. then you and you want you need the money to do it because you don't have an extra thousand dollars burning a hole mm-hmm. in your pocket you to get 200 dollars from that person and 300 dollars from that person you have to say i am giving a paper yep
1: um you don't so get the, like for last asor or two asors ago i guess at this point um i got one of the scholarship student scholarships be- only because it was my first time presenting yeah and I was presenting yeah so you had to be like it was the first time attending the conference and you were presenting at the conference
0: and they gave you shit money too how much did they give you
1: <sighs> not a lot
0: like four hundred
1: dollars three hundred
0: dollars yeah like
1: if that it didn't even cover the the hotel room per night was more.
0: Yeah, and when you go to a hotel with for a conference, you know, you really want to have four people in that room. Wow. <laughs> do the two beds? Do Did you do that? I
1: just stayed with Jeff.
0: You, so it's, it's just two people. In just the two room. people, but um, I think
1: I ended up using my dad has a bunch of hotel
0: um, points, so I, he paid for. It. And Airbnbs <laughs> have really saved <laughs> graduate students because
1: if you get an Airbnb, yes, yeah, that's what we did for RC in Arizona. We right. all just lived in one Air, Airbnb. What's that weird house that I?
0: Or that was New Mexico. We had two houses. For, that was New Mexico. Yeah. That was at some weird house, Airbnb. and But it's uh, sometimes yeah. nice
1: to be in the conference hotel because you can just run up to your room real quick. And, um, and there's parties in certain people's rooms. And you know you want to be <laughs> exclusive <laughs> yeah. parties.
0: Yeah, I try to get a suite so that I can yeah. have parties when I'm doing the hotel thing. This is true.
1: And everyone hangs at the hotel bar and then they run out of alcohol because it's a bunch of Egyptologists. It's awful. When when do you think you should give your first paper? I think you should wait until like maybe close to proposing. Yeah. Or
0: onwards. You, you gave a paper in I your gave, second
1: year? I did it in my third year.
0: So it's fine. Thir- that's I good. Think, too. I did my first paper in my third year too.
1: I think everyone feels a push to really present at all these things and just like always be presenting or even publishing really early. Mm-hmm but you always, some
0: universities don't, some universities and mentors are like, I don't want you out there until you're a complete package and you look better.
1: And, but I think you've always cautioned us to like, wait a little bit. You don't, you know, you don't want to do it. And then
0: you don't want to train wreck. I've seen some train wrecks. I have seen, especially
1: say like at RC, you want to be
0: like, you want to be really packaged and put together and You also want to be known enough so that people know to come to your paper, because if no one knows who you are, these things are popularity contests. And yes, you might have a topic that's going to draw people in, but you also want to be a person that's been networking Mm -hmm. and at the parties and connecting with people. So they're like, oh, I want to go see Bill's paper or whatever. And they know who that person is. Or not even
1: that they have an interest in your paper, but it's like, again, like you said, a popularity contest Mm -hmm. where people show up to show support for you as a person. And as yeah. a scholar, you
0: don't want to give a paper to 10 people in a room. So yeah, all it's the like a, too.
1: you have to, with COVID, it's been, it's been interesting because it's all online and like ASOR this year, it's, I'm doing the online component. And I'm doing the online. So you're too. pre-recording and yeah. sending them in and then yeah. we're all watching them and then meeting. Or are we? Well, we're supposed to all watch <laughs> them. And then in December, we're going to have like a workshop and right. chat, Right. which My, I think panel, since it's very focused on like dress in the body, I think it will be a good, we'll have a good discussion workshop between everyone. But I think for larger panels that are like archeology span of anywhere, it's, it's going to be harder to, I'm in a panel
0: for ASOR that's about power and like, so it's perfect. And I I think it's, it's going to be fun. I was going to go in person and now I'm, I'm online. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people were like hesitant and
0: well because there are parts of the country la is doing great but yeah. there are parts of the country that are not doing great mm-hmm. not at all yeah. um but anyway so yeah just know that there is disagreement amongst mentors and and professors about when you should give your first paper mm-hmm. about how dissertational that first paper should be there is also disagreement about publication so some yes. places are very much of the opinion that you don't publish until it's perfect. And it's, you really have something to contribute. Uh, So so you probably won't be publishing until your last year of the program, or maybe even after. Other places are like, you publish now, you publish early. you got to get your name out there and be a part of this game. Get all these things under your belt. There's a lot of disagreements about how this should work. Um, At UCLA, I think we're probably a little in between. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to be publishing early and fast just to do it, it needs to be something of, this is obvious for anybody, but there's such a pressure to publish that I you often see people publishing just to have something rather yeah. than it being of true substance.
1: Well, and I think it depends on what your dissertation topic is and how, if other people are also writing on it, if you kind of want to get your stuff out there if to you wanna, put your, you know, stamp.
0: What do I call it? Your on p- your territory, yes, you, you know, so if you want to be like, this is
1: my argument, this is my stuff, mm-hmm. you might want to publish. Yeah more early to kind of lay a claim to things right but it's just I think it's yeah why do a dissertation in some cases for some hotter topics yeah
0: why go through the whole process of doing a dissertation and hold on to that work for six to eight years Mm -hmm. and then hold on to it for another three years or so until the book comes out and nobody knows about it where you whereas you could be publishing parts of it in advance in article forum, which I always encourage mm-hmm. students to do so that people know what you're working on and they know that the book is gearing towards something that's adding too, to that. and you get feedback as you're yeah. going, your book will be richer for it. Yeah. And it, it makes so much more yeah. sense. I think yeah.
1: yeah. So I think it depends on yeah. a lot of factors. Yeah. But you know oh, I was gonna say something else about publishing. Oh come back articles, to books, um edited volumes, peer reviewed. Yeah. Well we can talk maybe about peer reviews and how we have this stereotype within, I think, all of academia of uh, reviewer number two. How, please explain. So it's always, you send in your article, it gets peer reviewed, yeah. and you get back the comments of yeah. the article. And they're all anonymous, right? You have, yeah. They're just numbered. And there's usually three options. Usually three. It's either
0: published as it is, published with significant revisions, or rejection.
1: rejection. Yeah. And there's this joke amongst academics of reviewer number two who's the person who completely destroys you and it's like reject this is garbage like just mean yeah mean 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 and then reviewer one and three are like usually like this is great or you know change these minor things and reviewer number two just
0: yeah slashes and burns you the review process is one of the the most confusing and problematic parts of academia, but it's also there for a reason. Um, like I just posted this nature article about the Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The Sodom and Gomorrah and the, the <sighs> comet hit the earth yeah. and and I'm posting it because it's in nature. I'm like, it's in nature. It's got it's peer reviewed. And of course, that you know, and then you see on Twitter and other places the explosion of outrage against this work, against the people who did the work, their apologism, their a priori religious belief systems. Mm-hmm. Peer review can fail and does. And there this is a situation in which peer review.
1: Well, it's like failed. nature, nature public a while ago, that awful genetic.
0: Oh, study of yes. Egypt of the like Abu Sirah and saying and that, oh they're yeah.
1: Levantine and white and, and it was like Nature what are you doing
0: so problematic yeah it's um, like you
1: study three bodies from three thousand years of history oh, you're right that was Nature too uh-huh. who's on their peer reviewed board they're how are these doing decisions something. being made yeah something's I've up. noticed yeah it's been weird lately but just take peer review
0: as a thing so here's how it works you're writing an article on coffin, say, because mm-hmm. that's what I might write an article on. Yeah. And your work gets sent out. And let's say you're a junior scholar and you're just making your way in the world and people don't know who you are. Like if I send out an article for peer review about coffin reuse, everyone's going to be like, oh, it's Kara. And they're going to mm-hmm. know it's me. And you know, yeah. they're going to see my work in the work. But say you're a junior scholar and you don't have that reputation yet and you get sent out to three people, two or three people, it depends in your field. Mm -hmm. So it gets sent out to other people who are are in the same territory that you are in, who according to normal human reactions are geared up to be super defensive, super challenged, super
1: territorial about footnotes. their own work. And, and there might be already established relationships and, oh, I don't like that person. So I'm gonna give their article a really terrible- Yeah, word. they might
0: like, know who it is. They the might top. see in the footnotes, oh, they're working with this person. They might figure out it's a university that they don't like, they don't wanna connect and So to you it. don't get the name of the author, but no. you can usually guess who it, it out. is. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can in a small field, yeah. right? You can usually suss out who it is. And so peer review in and of itself, like, I remember when I was writing on gender for the first time and my work started to go out there and somebody else who was writing on gender said, you can't do this. And I'm like, you can't. And I'm like, mm-hmm. really? So part of me was super defensive saying, how can I not write about half of the human species mm-hmm. in ancient Egypt? And another part of me was like, oh, okay, I am a junior scholar. I need to carve out a particular niche of the gender world so that I can claim it. And then when I am more seasoned yeah. and more um, advanced. reputable, yeah. advanced, whatever, then I, can, then I can grab a little bit more. And this is what we often do to, to junior scholars. And it's the nature of the beast. And it's something that you have to negotiate to get your stuff into peer-reviewed mm-hmm. journals because that's what people are looking for, those peer-reviewed journals. If all of your articles are in non-peer-reviewed places or, I mean, every edited volume should be peer-reviewed, yeah. right? but edited volumes have a different kind of um, agenda um the thing that i like about academia in the united states versus in europe is that edited volumes have almost as much weight mm-hmm. those chapters have almost as much yeah. weight as a peer reviewed journal article whereas in europe and britain in particular being a part of an ed- edited volume is like okay
1: well, it, it doesn't have the same reviewed, right?
0: weight or edited which one the challenging assumptions yeah. it's peer
1: reviewed yeah. yeah so yeah certain ones are so, you know, just depends. And yeah, I guess have...
0: some of the articles got rejected exactly. in said peer review and it was a tough peer review. Mm-hmm. I was surprised. So, um, so it's, it's all right. But, um, but just know that the nature of it is people think this is mine and then they, they defend it. And mm-hmm. what's that, that defensive posture is something that I think you see throughout academia, yeah. even where professors work against their own students. Potentially to keep their territory as their own mm-hmm. and keep their power as their own rather than sharing and making the the pie larger. Just, it's very capitalistic. It's very capitalistic. I like that, Jordan. Right? Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. We need
1: to be more, yeah, you like thinking more of like longevity and helping and like more, um. Yeah, nail on sure. the Instead head. Instead of just thinking about myself, I'm thinking about all of us as a whole. We need some more socialists.
0: Yeah, um, making
1: Egyptology better and not just mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. Yeah. Some more community so we're, oriented, we're socialist
0: ways of dealing with capital.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Community. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, but I think it's changing. I think so a lot.
0: I don't know though, because the more the anti-intellectualism hits, and the more yeah. brutalized university funding is on the state level or federal level, the less resources there are, the fewer jobs there are that are tenure track, yeah. the more competitive people get. And it's, um, it's tough out there already. As we've talked about before, and we talked about last time that we're, go- academia is going through a big profound change. I think over the next 20 years mm-hmm. um, is gonna be a really interesting time to see what comes out the other side of this yeah. fire. But right now I see a lot of overwork overburden, mm-hmm. um, people holding on by a thread, a lot of mental health crises and a lot of people who don't feel supported as they're moving forward in the field. But
1: yes, but I also see people being more open yeah. about it and not hiding it, which I think Here is we are. part of the start of <laughs> yeah. like coming up with a solution. Yeah. Um, and being more open to, you know, maybe this is big on Twitter lately of using non-traditional academic type of writings within syllabi for the students. And there was, you always get shit for your trade books. Yep. I do always get shit for my trade books. And, but I think there's a push now (laughs) to like blog posts are cool. Twitter threads are great. Like trade books are awesome. They're still well-researched just because like it's, it's for not a popular a, audience. Just because it's not in a peer-reviewed, you know, whatever this. But that's academia in a nutshell.
0: I've written a book that tens of thousands of people are going to read. Yep. And it is less valued and more poo-pooed compared to the book that I will write that about a thousand people read. Yep. And that is academia in but a I nutshell. But I think it's
1: changing. At I least,
0: think you're right. Yeah. I think she's right. And like posting <laughs>
1: podcasts. Yeah, it's true. It's becoming, you know, Twitter threads and books that people actually read. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And more people writing books that people actually read, yeah. and not these super ontological like big word, big word, big word that no one knows what the hell you're saying. Um, we're doing both. There is a both. place for yeah. both kinds of work, and that's um, which is like I think the um, keynote at ASOR a couple of years ago with Eric Klein. I missed it. it was I was his whole it. thing was but about I like writing it. books that people actually yeah. will read. Mm-hmm. Eric. Is really good about mm-hmm. writing a bunch of books that people like reading, and this is Eric Klein
0: who wrote um eleven seventy seven the year that civilization yeah. died digging, Is that the title yeah
1: digging collapsed Thank you digging Armageddon he's written so many books yeah, but his books, your books they're all super well researched um, and just academics sometimes just have some have a you know bugging their bonnet about it, a maybe because maybe because they can't do it. <laughs> Because it's a skill. You have to be a good writer to write those types of books. I mean, it
0: makes you, it it sets you you up for more slings and arrows. You have an actual
1: good voice.
0: You're you're putting yourself outside of the ivory tower. You're making points that are much broader than you would make in your own research. It's a different kind of writing. Um, Obviously, my grad students know that it's something that I think is valuable
1: and (laughs) should be more valued as time goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, Because how did I get into this? into archeology span and ancient history in general was reading those books when I was younger. Which ones? Your book, Watching You on TV. Oh my God. Reading, <laughs> Eric Klein's book. I can think of like just all those like how more popular history. When you read my Hatshepsut book. Uh, when, did, when
0: was it released? <laughs> I'll tell you how old I was. <laughs> when was it released? Uh, tw- oh shit, Amber, 2014, that
1: one? That was 2014. So I was in undergrad.
0: Okay, that's yeah, okay. That's fine. That's but I remember right. watching you on TV. <laughs>
1: when I was like was middle school. Shit. So I was a youngin. But just all I look back, I was
0: like 30 pounds lighter. I'm like,
1: oh, look at you, hot young thing before baby. So cute. But I, um, you know, I still read popular history books because I think they're enjoyable and yeah. you're learning something. And I know they're well-researched and I know people put a lot of work and effort into them.
0: Yeah, we need we need more historical novels mm-hmm. written by academics. I think that would be great. I just like, read like the last Cersei. Duel. That, but bo- who's Cersei by <gasps> Madeline Miller? Oh, so good! Such a good book. So, so good. I yeah. love it, and I, I have her, ne- her other one, the first one, Achilles. Yes, and I haven't started yet. Yeah. Um,
1: that one's apparently very sad. Oh, like, see, I've, i heard this, cry. and I'm avoiding yeah. it. So I see it in my little Kindle thing, and I'm like, I can't handle sad. But so many. I have a book. Cersei was sad. Yeah, but great. It was so good. But even not like Cersei and stuff is nonfiction. Mm-hmm. But even fiction books, I, I've. I've no, Cersei's fiction. Fiction, sorry. Yeah. It's nonfiction. Like I read The Last Duel. Yeah. That was it's a great book. That's Eric a short little, He's UCLA. short little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so many good, like little fiction, but f- more for the, you know, public. Yeah. Yeah. More people can digest. Okay. Well, I think we covered coursework. I guess we can talk about the dissertation process and yes. up to finishing.
0: Okay. So the dissertation is your first book. It is your ability to show that you can work with data mm-hmm. and ask a research question that demands that you go through the data in a painstaking way that other people aren't going to have the time to do. That's what dissertational contributions are about. Yeah. And then you analyze that data, package it into a book and then put that out into the world to be published on UMI. What does UMI stand for? Uh, oh my God, we, made, we were just making ourselves uh, look really it's stupid. It's out of Michigan, right?
1: Is that what it is?
0: I like think. The, what does it say? This is where everyone's dissertations in the United States go and We just call it I UMI. I don't even know what the hell it stands for. We'll look it up. Amber's going to look it up. But I um, thought it
1: was a repository out of Michigan. University of I don't know. Um, ProQuest, thesis, yeah. thesis and dissertation.
0: Yeah. Um, so, you know, for my dissertation, I looked at a number, all the texts that I could find from a particular time period and place, West Thebes, 19th and 20th dynasty that talked about funerary arts production, whether they were producing coffins or mm-hmm. books of the dead or canopic chests or, or shopty boxes or whatever. And, and then I looked at all those prices and I went through that data and I, I collected that. And then I went to every coffin that I could find of the 19th or 20th dynasty. And I documented that coffin photographically and did wood drawings, wood plank drawings and things like that. And then I, I analyzed that data. And so it was like 80 coffins, and like 200 texts. And then I put it all together and I, into a book that I eventually, or into a dissertation that was called The Cost of Death. Mm-hmm. Um, socioeconomic value of Ramessid funerary arts or something. And that was my contribution to the field. It took me, I would say a year to collect the data, maybe a year and a half, and then a year and a half to write it up and and add in some theoretical elements. Though there's not a lot of heavy theory in my my dissertation. Um, So the process generally takes three to four years, probably four here, yeah. Amber, did you find out what UMI stands for? What does it stand for?
1: University Microforms
0: International. Microforms. Well, no wonder. Who the hell so uses use those It's like more, micro fission, microfilm. Microfilm. Yeah. My goodness. University Microforms International. But
1: basically ProQuest.
0: ProQuest. Yeah. Okay. ProQuest. Um, so, so how long
1: was it? Seven hundred.
0: Seven hundred pages, so I think. Um, lots of appendices, lots Mm -hmm. of catalogs. I think I had three catalogs, one for the text, one for the coffins, one for the prices. Um, And it's your first book and you've never written a book. You don't know how to write a book and you don't know exactly what your voice is and Mm -hmm. what your arguments are. And the hardest thing about a dissertation is as you're working with the data, you end up writing it from the perspective of analyzing the data, which can make for a very confusing dissertation without. A, a real thread yeah. through it. Mm-hmm. And, and I see students doing that. I'm like, no, no, you're, you're writing this in the order that you're looking at the data, uh, uh-uh. uh take your data and start moving it around and say, what's the thing that you need to present first, and then write it in a way so that yeah. it presents the answer to your research questions the best.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: you have to turn things around, but Lots it's, massaging. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. And as you're writing, you're generally getting in more data so you're constantly dealing with the, the data and the argument simultaneously.
1: So dissertation takes a long time to write.
0: Three to four years to four with years. data collection to writing, which are very different things. Yeah, Data collection is a very different type of work than the writing work. Um, and what I always encourage students to do is to not edit yourself while you're writing or not try to, you wanna do these things separately. You wanna have your analytical mind of data work or data collection separate from your, your writing mind, which is separate from your editing mind. Mm -hmm. So all of those things are different types of mind that we all have. But if you, if you combine them and try to do them at the same time, that is when writing stops. Because if you're trying to write and you're getting in your own way, saying no, that's stupid. No, that's dumb. No, that's wrong. Then you won't get anything out. And what you have to do is create certain mindsets for yourself so that you can get through all of the data and process it all Mm -hmm. quickly, quickly, and do it in a a certain mindset where you're not getting in your own way, but you are being critical because you Mm -hmm. only get one shot with that data. You have to be hyper critical, second guessing yourself, being mean to yourself in Mm -hmm. a way like you didn't do this, do that and go through yeah. checklists and make sure you put yourself into into a, like a straight jacket. You've got to get this stuff done. And then when you're, she looks at me, I know as I'm right? in this, in that phase right now. You, and and you might be like, oh shit, I've just discovered a new parameter that I should have been looking I for the whole time.
1: This new application, oh. for annotating images. Yeah, that Deidre from Coatsin. Oh, I might want to. I use was like, it. I went up to her and I was like, not to talk shop, but can we talk shop real yeah. quick? And I was like, I know this software exists because I was editing a grant mm-hmm. and they were using a certain type of software. And I was like, I want this software for my dissertation. So you can
0: annotate all the visuals. You can take,
1: you can dump all your visuals into it and create like a database and then tag things. And it it's will auto, me. it will auto, <laughs> you can create like polygons and tag. And then, so I'll be able to search like X garment.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And it will pull
1: all the ones that have them. So I'll just be able to do my numbers. Like, Oh my God, that's amazing. And I was like, and I like she told me that, and I was like, it's a perfect.
0: Oh my goodness! And That's it's awesome. open access,
1: like it, it's a repository online, so I could just link to my database.
0: Yeah, and, like, and database magic, you know. And everyone does these databases like a FileMaker Pro, where yep. it's just heavy, thick description when you're yep. doing visual work. And I was like, it's not work. useful. It takes so much time. You're getting in your own way. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you could just go right to the visual and code things out and mark things out, you're going to be able to work on that that data so much more carefully. Um, you will find a parameter that you didn't think to look for. Mm -hmm. You will have to go back through all of your data again and be like, crap, now I got to add this thing, but you'll be able to do it.
1: And I think the way the software works, it's kind of AI where it will learn. Oh, wow. And it will be able to, so you don't have to manually do it each time. Oh my goodness. And like pick out, I don't know, kilt. It will be able to be like, okay, this is what a kilt looks like. I'm going to pick out from all these images. Yeah. And she said she dropped like thousands into it to test it and it like handled it totally fine. What's it called? Um, We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes, but it's free. Um, oh my goodness! It's I'll pull it right now. But so once, uh, it's called uh, trof- Tropi T R O P Y dot org. It's too late for us, Amber. But apparently, <laughs> really great. And okay. So if you're working with images, okay. So that's your that's
0: your data analysis yeah. mind. Super critical, super hard on yourself. Try to get everything. Then you go into writing mind. You have to be you have to change people. You have to create an alternative personality. You have Mm -hmm. to be super kind to yourself. You have to be like, I need the writing to flow. I need to get the paragraphs out and you need to take that data and somehow put it into a long written form and allow yourself to write fast, bad, and wrong, but to, to get it out there. And then you have your third type of mind, which is your Editing more hypercritical on your writing kind of mind where you go back over what you've written and you're like, oh well, that's wrong. And oh, I can't have that. But you're not, you're not trying to do those two things at the same time. Because yeah. if you try to do those two things at the same time, it's gonna we should have a whole podcast for writing. Yeah. Um, I think that would be that would be cool. smart. And I think, so think we'll, that's why we'll do that.
1: so many people find writing difficult. Yes. It's because you're trying to do
0: they're getting in their own way.
1: You're getting your own way. It's very, you know, you have to you're putting yourself on the page. It's yeah. it's hard. You you think you should be writing a lot more than you are. But like, you know, if you write one paragraph, that's, and it's a good paragraph and some days you'll write a lot, some days days you won't. And
0: some days when I'm writing and I'm actually writing like to the empty page or putting stuff down for the first time, I just, I get so upset. I get mad. I like have to get up and walk around and I'm like, oh, I can feel them judging me. Mm-hmm. I can feel them talking shit. And I'm like, just say it, Cara, be ba- be brave, be brave. And I have to go out there and be brave. And then I have to walk around again. And I'm just, yeah, I, like- t- I talk to myself a lot. It's kind of crazy. And I often write in this garage, where my husband, Remy is like throwing a pot and I'm sitting at the table and just muttering to myself or to also, uh,
1: you also write at baseball games and, I do. <laughs> <I> and <laughs> I on do. vacation I somehow. I do. I write everywhere. I like to do the, um, resort pass where you get a pool that day
0: and I bring my iPad and I, yeah. I write there. So I would be too distracted. I yeah. like people
1: watching and
0: yeah, no, I can get into that. Yeah. I think because I have kind of an ADD mm-hmm. sort of. Personality like the
1: overstimulation.
0: I can I can zone yeah. into what I need to do. But yeah.
1: Well, let's take a quick break. Um, and then we'll come back and we'll finish talking about post graduation and all okay. those topics. Okay.
0: After discussion. We had it, we had a little break and a discussion. Yeah.
1: Since we're, you know. We've been talking a lot and we think we have a lot more to say. We haven't covered even graduation and job market, postdocs, it's too much. getting a job. We have so much more to cover. We're
0: going to do a part three. We're going to do
1: a part three. Yes. So stay tuned. Hope you enjoyed this. Um, like and follow, leave a rating. Um, if you're if you're enjoying the podcast so far, we'd really appreciate it. You can email with suggestions. Karakuni at gmail.com. Um, sign up for the newsletter as well. Yes.
0: Um, um, follow me on Twitter and Facebook. Facebook. I suck Instagram. at Instagram.
1: <laughs> we also will be doing a book giveaway. Um, oh, that's fun. I forgot that. Yeah, That dropped last week. So we'll be picking out um, our favorite top five suggestions. So we're going to be doing more of those over the upcoming weeks. Um, pre-launch pre-launch of your upcoming book and how, where do they where are they going to do so this? we're going to post them on the socials you comment below with your suggestion and then for podcast topics podcast topics right um that you want to you want to see us cover and then our favorite ones we'll choose and you guys get a signed copy of good kings and those so. are
0: those are courtesy of nat geo so nat geo books was like oh we
1: love your podcast
0: and here's some books, give them to your, your listeners. So thanks Nat Geo. That's, that's great.
1: Oh. And those will go out in the next month. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, if you have an idea, let us know, and you probably win a signed book then. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So come up
0: with a good topic.
1: Yeah. We We'd love to do it. It's my yeah. 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 Awesome. We'll see you. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you to our listeners for
0: your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review and help raise our profile and let others know about it. Send your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakoni at gmail.com. You can find the video version of the show on my YouTube page and full show notes will be posted in the podcast section of my website, karakoni.squarespace.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books, upcoming lectures, and you can subscribe to my newsletter. You can find me on Facebook at Karakuni Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Karakuni. See you next time on Afterlives with Karakuni.